HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. On today's episode, I'm going to talk about bow hunting in the month of October, which has really become probably my favorite month overall to hunt in the Midwest. September is nice because the weather's mostly mild, you have tons of cover to help hide in the tree, you can find isolated food depending on where you're hunting, and deer can be less on edge. And of course, November can be incredible too, though the second half of the month is usually the heaviest hunting pressure you'll have the entire year with various gun seasons, so often the best rut hunting is isolated. It can be very cold and you can still put in long hours and really slow days waiting for that one key flurry of activity. Now, October, well, it seems to blend the best of both months. The weather is overall most comfortable, not too hot, and not too cold. Deer movement can be good, and it just continues to get better and better over the course of the month. Deer movement is also predictable, both from a bedding perspective as well as year-over-year repeatability. The cover has been knocked down a bit since September, but not so much that the trees you're hunting out of are barren and hunting pressure usually isn't too bad either. So in this episode, I'll dive into some tips to keep in mind while hunting in October. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas, aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info, add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. All right, one of the first things to keep in mind when talking about October is, of course, the fact that the plans should change over the course of the month. Don't expect the beginning of October to be like the middle of October, and don't expect the middle of October to be like the end of October. Early in the month, I find that it hunts very similar to later in September, which is to say that, you know, food might be shifting, could be shifting very dramatically uh, from, you know, in September, certain crops, and then it switches over into a lot of times mast, but you might not have a good mast year, or maybe you're hunting an area that's more browse dominant in terms of food sources. Regardless, you got to be able to stay on top of the food. But what I tend to find is that you're not going to get really big, large daylight movement in uh, the early part of October, like you might in the latter half of the month as it gets closer to the pre-rut. So during the early part of October, the bed to food pattern is definitely your best bet in terms of finding movement. And I tend to find that the tighter you can get to bedding, usually the better. Now, as it gets to around the middle part of the month, that's usually when I see the most amount of sign start to be initiated. And a lot of times it's going to be nighttime sign during the middle part of that month. And trail cameras will usually confirm this, at least with the bigger deer, you might still be getting pictures of 
uh, younger bucks or, or even does in some of the rut areas. And oftentimes in some of the key rut areas that really heat up in the late part of the month, I tend to find that even in the early part of the month, they either get a lot of doe traffic or they might not even get a lot of traffic at all from any deer. It just kind of depends on the exact situation and the exact scenario. And when you usually see that sign starting to pop up, the places where it pops up will tend to start being good throughout the rest of the month. And when you see the sign start popping up in the places that I've run cameras and just kind of monitor the activity for multiple years, it seems to be that you don't get some of those bucks that show up to make the sign in the early part of the month. I'll get pictures of those deer in say like August or even, you know, occasionally in early September as just like a random excursion, but then they don't show back up in those spots until the middle part of October. And when they do show up, they leave that sign, but a lot of it's at night. And then as you get closer and closer to the end of the month, you'll start getting in some cases more repeatable, closer to daylight activity. But what I also tend to find too, is that it might seem like it's random. It might seem more like rut like behavior where you might get one particular deer hitting a certain scrape, uh, you know, two or three days a week, nothing that you could hang your hat on and say, okay, you know, as it gets closer and closer, like each day gets a little bit closer to moving in daylight, you know, hour after dark, 30 minutes after dark, 15 minutes after dark, and then you go on the next day. I've never really seen that scenario play out, although we certainly all heard instances where people have had that scenario play out. What I tend to find is that if you can build up a library of enough spots, those spots will tend to start getting daylight activity and you can build that library over time. And then you might have, you know, five, a dozen, two dozen spots that could potentially be good. And then you can monitor some of those trail cameras throughout the middle part of the month to at least see what deer are using which areas and then use that to game plan to figure out which one of those spots you might hone in on uh, to get some of your higher percentage sits toward the later part of the month. When it comes to early morning versus evening sits, they can both be good. I definitely wouldn't hold out entirely to hunting the mornings in October. The early part of the month, personally, what I like to do is just say like try and fill doe tags or hunt mornings in areas where maybe they're not your best spots. And in some of those areas, the, the deer you might intend on hunting in the later part of the month might not even have shown up there. So you might not be, you know, quote unquote, ruining the spot from that aspect, but you might also not be really benefiting yourself that much either. So a lot of times I'll use the opportunity in the early part of the month to just get out in the woods, uh, hunt some of those places that are maybe closer to the road, places where you know that there's doe activity and you might be able to get some good hunting in, maybe, um, you know, take the monkey off your back and put some meat in the freezer if you haven't shot anything yet. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have October 1st openers. So maybe this is the first opportunity you've had to really hunt all year. And for me personally, I've not had a great amount of success seeing bigger deer in the early to mid part of the month in the morning. I know certainly people have done it. And when it comes to deer hunting, there's no hard and fast rules. There's nothing that's 100% certain. So if you have intel, especially that a big deer might be killable in the morning, and that's what you're after, absolutely dive right in and, and figure out a way to get it done. Think about the wind and the thermals. Think about the access. It seems like for me, if I've tried to do that opportunity, it's never really worked out. And I'll also say that I've never really felt like I've got an early morning pattern filled out to where I think, you know, a big deer that I was looking at might be killable that time of the month. And oftentimes I'll find that deer might be bedded 
well before daylight. You might be set up in the right spot, uh, but it might not be actually a beneficial sit. And this is something that's interesting to think about too. You might not know a hundred percent what those deer are doing or the route that they're taking to get back to their beds the way you think that they might. Uh, I'll give an example. I was talking to Bill Thompson about this when I was in North Dakota, we were talking about GPS deer that he's looked at the, you know, the long-term travel routes and patterns of specific deer that were collared just to kind of understand what they were doing. And we talked about hill country examples and whether or not the, the deer would oftentimes J hook into their beds or if they would come straight in or sort of what they'd be doing. And, and Bill mentioned that in many cases, not every case, cause again, this is well as examples where looking at specific deer, they don't always do the same thing, but often enough to be noteworthy, older deer would, let's say they're going to bet on a point and they're betting on that, you know, that knob, that classic, um, leeward side knob. We kind of anticipate that let's say, you know, if the deer is feeding up on acorns up high, or he's feeding an agriculture up on uh, the higher ground that he might walk back, maybe if not right down the top of the ridge, maybe off to the side a little bit, one side or the other and work his way back and then kind of dip down underneath his bed so he can gather the falling thermals smell that there's nothing in his bed and then access up the rest of the way, you know, kind of bottom up to get to his bed. And from that standpoint, you might say, well, if I can access in from the bottom, then I can get up and kind of anticipate that J hook, maybe be set up, you know, close to where that deer is uh, bedding and, you know, hope that either number one, you catch the J hook or the deer comes in and beds in the dark, but then it gets light and you're still close enough to be able to make something happen. Well, a scenario that's very realistic that could play out there is maybe that buck is doing that kind of a pattern, you know, at 3 a.m., but then he comes down that point and drops down into the the actual bottom itself where you had planned on accessing from, and maybe he mills around down there for, you know, from 3 to 4 to 5 to 6 a.m., and then he works his way either back up from the bottom at that point or maybe he loops back around up to uh, sort of the top of the ridge and works his way back in to make like a bigger loop as opposed to just kind of a smaller J hook, uh, which is a, a pattern that Bill had mentioned he'd seen older deer do a number of times in hill country. And so if they're doing that kind of a pattern, you plan on accessing from the bottom, then you're basically blowing that deer out at 3 a.m. or whatever you're accessing and you might never even know. So for that and many other reasons, I've just not had the level of success the early part of the month, hunting mornings for the older deer. Uh, but certainly for, for, you know, seeing younger bucks and seeing does early October, especially if you have a, a cold front, you know, sitting on the edge of Oak flats or other types of feeding areas or sitting on some of those bedding areas and waiting for the deer to come back in can be really good. So a lot of times this time of the month, I'm, you know, hunting that type of pattern in the morning, if I'm able to get out and then in the evenings, I'll just try and push as close as I can to bedding and do your classic bed hunts just like you would in mid or late September, playing the wind, uh, trying to figure out where deer might be bedding based on the wind directions. The food is certainly important, but it's kind of a secondary thing because I'm ultimately trying to get as close to the bedding as possible, regardless of if they're feeding on uh, browse right on the outside of the bedding area, if they're feeding on acorns within 100 yards, or if they're traveling all the way to ag that's you know a half mile away. And I would say that for the most part, that type of strategy continues for me 
from the early part of the month through the middle part of the month. But during the middle part of the month, I'm definitely doing a lot of scouting and spot checking and looking for sign that's showing up. And when I see scrapes and rubs pop up, you know, the 15th, 16th, 17th of October, I'm looking for track sizes. Are there monster tracks that are being left in some of those fresh scrapes? A lot of times the scrapes you'll find will be fresh enough to where you might have that nice imprint of a track in. There's no leaves filling it up. And for rubs, you can look at the height. And there's been times when I found sign like that and been able to put cameras on and be able to see within the matter of like a day or two which deer had come back and had uh, left that sign and it lets me know kind of what deer is in that area. And over time, I've been able to see spots like that light up year over year. And now I have cameras ready to go in those types of locations. And then as we transition to the actual latest part of the month, we'll say from October 23rd through the end of the month, that's when I start to definitely hunt mornings uh, for bucks. And in some instances, if the weather seems like it's going to be really good, might hunt all day. Because I've had cameras that are on scrapes and really secure close to bedding locations where I'll get mature deer that would come in at like 10 in the morning or uh, one in the afternoon in the last week of October. And you would normally think that they'd only do that in say like November if they're cruising for does. Uh, but I've definitely seen that uh, not be the case. I've also seen it happen where if you have a doe that comes in early, you know, I had a, a camera that blew up, um, I think it was even like the 17th through the 20th of October where there must've been a doe that was in heat. Cause you could just tell by the sheer number of photos and the, the look of the deer and you know, how they were running around on, on uh, camera and getting several daylight pictures throughout the course of that, like three day span. It made me think that must've certainly been going on there, but I do think that the most powerful tool is historical knowledge, knowing where the, the deer like to bed, knowing what places they'd like to show up, knowing Maybe if there's like a three-day window that a certain bedding area tends to get really, really good and just kind of bide your time and wait for the right moment to jump in, wait on the, you know, a safe wind for you, safe enough to be able to hunt it, wait for ideally uh, a point in time when you think that the weather's going to be good enough to get that good daylight movement. Maybe it means it's a cold front. Maybe you're, you know, using the Spartan Forge app and you're looking for a shift from core area to transition to full range of movement. The best hunting that I had last year, um, this is the hunt that I posted on my YouTube channel where I had like four or five different bucks on the same day coming in tend to scrape on public land. Uh, that was the first day where it switched from core area to a full range, which also happened to correspond with the cold front hitting around at the same time. So not going in too early and hunting your best spots like the third week, again, unless you have Intel that says, you can capitalize on it in the third week. Then in that case, it's probably better to capitalize on it as soon as you can, because you're getting ahead of a lot of other hunting pressure in that case. If you wait till the last week, you're stacking the deck and giving yourself the best opportunity of daylight movement, but you're also increasing the odds that, you know, somebody else could start hunting there. Um, you know, the last week people start hunting more and more. And then into the first week of November, that's usually when you get max bow hunting pressure in any particular piece of public land. If you're hunting, you know, permission private or, you know, personal private that you have access to, then that's a whole different ball game. But, uh, something I'm always trying to keep an awareness of is even on property to property, um, does this one have mostly rut hunters or does this one have guys that hunt throughout the entire year? Does this property have, uh, mobile hunters on it? Does this property mostly have people who hunt, 
uh, fixed stands, like all that type of information definitely plays into how aggressive and how early I'd like to try and hunt late October sign. And one additional thing that I'll leave you with, and it kind of corresponds to the hunting pressure thing as well, is I've definitely noticed over the last, I'd say two years for sure, um, probably I could say more than that with the mobile hunting rise in popularity, but especially the last two years, I've seen it also in just specifically cell cameras. I see more and more of them in the woods and what it can mean is multifaceted. One is that I think with the amount of information and the obvious advantages that you can get from that piece of technology, guys are trying to utilize them, which can be to their benefit, but can also be to their detriment, depending on how they're using them. If they're using it to stay out and again, buy their time, wait for the picture to show up and know when they should be able to start hunting there and, you know, keeping their scent minimized in the process. It's good, but it's also only given them the Intel at that camera location. You know, they might not be out there scouting and putting boots in the ground and getting all of the connecting the dots type of information to let them know what they might be missing out on. Um, so if they only have, let's say like four or five of their own cameras out, they're missing out a lot of what's going on. Think about all the times that you don't get the deer that you're after on camera. Well, what's he doing on those days? You're not going to know if all you're doing is looking at those camera photos. So, so if you're running into that type of scenario, I'd say it's almost a good thing. And you can almost treat finding other people's cell cams kind of like finding somebody else's tree stand. You know, somebody else is hunting there. And unless you know them personally, you know how they you know might utilize those cameras. You can almost think about it like a fixed spot. Cause if they see pictures come in at that trail camera location and they're pictures that they're, they feel like are worth capitalizing on, you can almost guarantee that's where they're going to be hunting somewhere really close to that camera. You know, it's not like they're going to get a picture of a big deer on a cell camera and then go set up a quarter mile away. Um, so if I find those, I mark them and I treat them almost as if I found some guy setting up a, a tree stand to be able to hunt out of. Now, if you get guys who are maybe a little bit more savvy in their usage of those cameras and using them just as additional addendums to their boots on the ground scouting, well, that can make it a little bit more challenging to try and figure out how do you hunt around their pressure. And I think it's something that we'll just continue to learn as the years go on, because in the course of you know recent history, the usage of cell cameras has been around for a few years now, but they're really with the, you know, number of lower priced options coming out on the market, they're really starting to become, I feel like more mainstream. Um, a lot of the guys that I talk to, even when you're watching YouTube channels, um, where they're doing scouting videos and whatnot, starting to find more and more of them. I think they've just become more commonplace and more people are tending to lean more towards using cell cameras than regular cameras. And I do think that'll in some regards alter how and when guys are going into the woods and how they're monitoring those cameras and where they're putting their scent and how often they're putting their scent in the woods. And I, I think it's ultimately just going to continue to be one of those monitor and adapt, even on a particular property, um, because different guys are going to use it probably a little bit differently. And I don't think there's necessarily a set in stone answer other than just continue to put the work in and continue to look at your own sources of information, whether it's glassing trail cameras, whatever, continue to do the boots in the ground scouting, continue to try and do one step more than what everybody else is doing out there and try and stay one step ahead of the game in that regard. That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook, leave a five-star review on iTunes, and if you're looking for additional content from myself, 
Subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY underscore Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.